the events of 2020 have significantly advanced a range of initiatives we're working on, whether that's e-prescribing, whether that's delivery systems, whether that's innovation locally or business continuity planning. I think we've got a lot to look forward to in terms of the way that the organisation will continue to innovate and present options or member value propositions to our membership. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show and our best episodes of 2020. If you haven't already, you really should head back to the previous episode, episode 64, and listen to all the great snippets of advice from each of our episodes covering episodes 38 to 50. We've had some fantastic guests on the show who have shared some amazing stories, experiences, journeys, insights, and advice with us. And I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show and share with us. As such, you can expect another show full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests as we look back at 26 shows, those being episodes 38 to 63. Having covered off episodes 38 to 50 in the last episode, we will now take a look back at the best bits from episodes 51 to 63. And to kick off this volume of the best bits of 2020, I now welcome Colm Maguire, Group Executive Member Services and Innovation at the Guild. Here's Colm. Colm, thanks for joining us today and congratulations on what I'm sure has been a challenging but ultimately rewarding 12 months for the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. From your perspective, can you take us through what you saw as some of the tougher moments of 2024 community pharmacy and maybe some of the more positive moments to round that out that came out of those tough situations? To say this year is unprecedented would be an understatement and I'm sure the entire community can see that. It started maybe in 2019, moreover for the pharmacy community with what was a a very, very difficult flu season. And that then flowed into the bushfires of, of late 2019, early 2020. And, and just as we were getting through that, COVID hit. And, and I know that the entire Australian community has been impacted by COVID. And in particular for the pharmacy community, when you look at the long hours, dealing with the confusion and fear of a pandemic. There's been both personal issues within a pharmacy, but then for their patients and their community. So look, it's been an incredibly difficult year, but one that I think community pharmacy has truly responded to. There's been the absolute value of the dispersed nature of community pharmacy at the fore, Um, the levels of accessibility, the fact that pharmacies are there for their community night and day has been just something that that you can be incredibly proud of. Uh, within our area, any crisis uh, particularly allows both government and the pharmacy community to respond with innovation. And, and there's been numerous examples of that, whether it's telehealth, um, going through delivery systems. We ran a pilot with a group called Rodaro, which which looked at Uber-style deliveries. And then you look at the advances in e-prescribing, which will be something that into the future, all patients benefit from. From a pharmacy community perspective, we've also advocated to the highest levels of government to ensure that the essential role of pharmacy through that crisis has been recognised. And then if you look at vaccinations, I think the Australian community has also responded with the knowledge that one of the ways they could defend themselves 
against something like this was by going through a vaccination program. And we've had unprecedented growth in our corporate vaccination program. Uh, but also, if you look at the vaccination rates across Australia, I think it's no coincidence to think about the role that community pharmacy played in that and the results that we've then had in terms of being able to work our way through this pandemic. So, uh, look, it's been an immense year. And as a member organisation, I think we've continued to support our members throughout, but we're also incredibly proud of the role that they've played within their community. You alluded to some of those things that you've done to support your members. So I want to touch on that a little bit further because it's no doubt it's been a long 18 months for community pharmacy. Starting back, as you said, in 2019, we saw that pharmacy staff were instrumental in the bushfire response and then backed it up with continuous and dedicated patient care throughout the pandemic, and that continues today. What were some of the ways in which the Guild has been able to support their members through a, a pretty difficult 2020 in every crisis, it's it's about what you do next, isn't it? And I think through the pandemic in particular and the bushfires, um, what I've seen and what I've been incredibly proud of of every jurisdiction across Australia is the way that our, our officers, our staff, our organisation has risen to the challenge and looked to support the members. And yesterday I had what was a fantastic opportunity to actually sit with all the member services teams across each branch and our national secretariat and they actually went through the highlights of the work that they've done and you know the camaraderie and the support that they provided each other through what was an immensely challenging year and if you look at even down to melbourne where many of those staff were were also locked away supporting pharmacies that had to remain open for their patients they were they were working long hours and without trying to trivialise or miss anyone, I think that's the big challenge is, is where do I start with the way that they've supported their members throughout? If they've stepped up, the biggest example of it was negotiating the seven CPA in a backdrop of financial crisis for the government and, and getting an agreement for community pharmacy that provides surety going forward in a period that that is just so uncertain. That was an, an immense commitment by the Guild and across every level. You've then got, you know, if I look at personal involvement, the Guild and, and the advocacy that we've done through COSBOA into things like JobKeeper, it's difficult sometimes to quantify while you're in the middle of, of things like that, that you're actually negotiating something that will support all Australians and all pharmacy staff or small businesses across across Australia to get to the other side. So I think the power of being a member organisation during times like that, it's when you can actually demonstrate the value and the support that you offer. And, you know, whether it's marketing material, business continuity plans, we shifted our entire quality care program to a remote program so that we didn't interrupt pharmacy staff. We even delayed it for a period of time. We delivered resources help with the distribution of hand sanitizers and, and masks at the beginning of the year for smoke, right through to secondment to the government. I think we were we were lending staff during the period to support the broader response. So I think it's really difficult to sort of to sort of put your finger on one thing or the major thing. But you know, as a as an organization, we can just be immensely proud of the way that our our staff across the entire network have responded and the things that they've done that can be incredibly bespoke for one member pharmacy, but can be generalised for all community pharmacy. But it's only it's only equaled 
by the role the community pharmacies themselves have played in supporting their community and their patients. So much great work in a difficult 2020 and even 2019, yet despite what has been an extremely challenging year for community pharmacy, we were still lucky to have so many amazing guests on the show each fortnight, demonstrating the achievements, innovation and dedication that make community pharmacy such an amazing part of the healthcare sector. Colin, what are some of the exciting things on the horizon for members as the Guild progresses through 2021? As a start, Daniel, maybe we'll continue a lot more of those guests on your podcast. I think uh, we can look forward to a lot more of that, which um, gives us a, a platform to engage with the community and present some of the fantastic work that is being done across Australia. But I think it's interesting to ponder that question when you think about normality or a, re- a return to a degree of normality is something we can look forward to. Um, whether that's the conferences or the ability to get together or the face-to-face meetings that we do conduct with our members. There's a lot of innovation that's come into the space in terms of being able to digitally connect. And I think we'll look to enhance those into the future. You may recall, and I I know when we started doing these podcasts, there was some great engagement over our CP 2025 journey and where we were looking to get to into the future. And I think the events of 2020 have significantly advanced a range of initiatives we were working on, whether that's e-prescribing, whether that's delivery systems, whether that's innovation locally or business continuity planning. Um, I think we've got a lot to look forward to in terms of the way that the organisation will continue to innovate and present options or member value propositions to our membership. So I think uh, one of the big things that will uh, continue to be the focus of the new National Council, which is another thing we can look forward to in, in 2021, we will have a new leadership to take us forward. Um, and they'll be focused on the implementation of the seven CPA, but also continuing to advocate for the scope and expertise of pharmacy and pharmacists within the community to be realised. And, and I think that commitment to the broader pharmacy membership, that, that you will have a National Council and a Pharmacy Guild that is here to represent what is best about community pharmacy and have that commitment to the membership is something we can continue to look forward to into 2021 and beyond. Colm, lots of exciting opportunities and support available in 2021. So thank you so much for joining us and reviewing 2020. And we all look forward to more great work in 2021 for Guild members. Thanks, Daniel. Moving on now to our guests. In episode 51, Gary McCartney, owner and creative director of McCartney Design, discussed how physical store environments can go a long way in shaping positive patient outcomes. Gary, when we duck down to our local community pharmacy, most of us are probably not actively thinking about the specific store layout or the lighting or the, how big the aisles are or where the stock is positioned in terms of how we might move through that space. But these things can have an incredible influence, not just on the customer's experience, our own experience, but also our behavior as customers as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how the physical retail environment can actually shape a customer's experience? I think it's a two-way street, actually. Customer behavior influences the layout and the design of a store, but the design of a store in turn can influence how the customer behaves in that store. I mean, if you think uh, pharmacies are quite unique environments um, because uh, we've been thinking about this a lot. The main thing that you are giving to the customer that they can't get in a lot of other retail environments is trust. 
Um, we know that pharmacists are probably one of the most, it's in the top three most trusted professions in Australia. Um, and there's reasons for that because pharmacists, uh, unlike typical traditional retailers, they are scientists. Um, they've been to university, they have qualified in what they do, and they're very responsible in what they do. Um, it's a responsible profession, and uh, that engenders a lot of trust in your in your customers. Now, having gained that trust, um, it's what you do with that trust that is very important. Um, and that actually, you, to, 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 as a trusted profession, you have to make your customers feel that they are safe, first of all, in your environment. And I think that's even pre-COVID. You know, you go to a pharmacy to get medications principally that make you better or you go to improve the quality of your health. So, you know, you've got to trust the environment that you're in. And there's no... There's no one factor, I think, that makes a good pharmacy a good pharmacy. It's a, it's a combination of a lot of things. First of all, you've got the actual layout of the store. So if you stand back and, uh, and look at a plan of your shop, there's, a, there's almost a traditional pattern with pharmacies that you put the dispensary down at the back um, and everything that you walk past to get to the pharmacy. It's almost like putting the milk down at the back of the supermarket. Everybody goes there. Uh, it, it drives a traffic pattern, which means that you go past all the other merchandise, which effectively becomes impulse merchandise that you pick up either on the way in or the way out. Now, there's a, there's a, a little sort of nuance to that in that um, I used to have a, one of the first pharmacy clients I had. I used to draw like a plan, and for, this was in the old days when you actually drew a plan, um, and uh, it, we'd be sitting across the table and i say, okay, Neil, here's this plan. And uh, I would present it to him as if from the point of view of a, a customer walking into the shop. And Neil would immediately turn around the, uh, the plan and say, okay, I understand this now because he's looking at it from his position behind the counter. Um, so that's his point of view. But it, it was actually quite hard to 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 get us thinking around to this is what the customer experiences it's not about what you experience that's important it's the customer that, that that experiences this so that was that was a learning a learning curve for both of us actually philip chapman from lease one joined us in episode 52 to discuss the importance of your lease contract how to negotiate a better agreement with your landlord the impacts of the pandemic on the leasing market and some of the trends community pharmacy needs to be aware of moving forward it's clearly been a Difficult year for community pharmacy, as it has been for so many others. We were speaking about that off air. And we've seen a lot of pharmacies start to reassess many of their operational procedures and business frameworks. You spoke before about the ongoing need for consult rooms and contactless deliveries, etc. So on that note, while they're looking at their business going forward, should business owners be viewing their leases a little bit differently to how they would in the past as they move now into the future? We always promote addressing lease events such as renewals and options early. And when I say early, I don't mean six months out, but at least 18 months out. So they could do the work to leverage the best possible outcomes. But also more so now than before, as landlords are now seeking to regain that lost asset value that happened as a result of the COVID period. And they're seeing the same strategies already where they're trying to increase rents uh, with a good portion of their tenants that are under duress now which means that they're really going to lean on those that, are, that haven't been affected. And that means pharmacy uh, across the board. So we've got to be careful about how we look at the relationship with the landlord and how the landlord's going to be approaching them in the, in the near future, in the medium to short term. 
But if they're across their numbers and understand the opportunities to value add their current lease, then there are strategies that can benefit the pharmacist and the pharmacy as an asset. To give a quick example, a lease would say three to four years left. So extend the term now at the current rent, but with a rental abatement that can support, say, the landlord's current value, whilst at the same time providing more security for the pharmacist and also improving their bottom line through a reduced rent. Um, this is what's called face and effective rent, and I'm, that's a bit technical for today's podcast. But there are strategies out there that they should be looking at to try and value add the asset value of their pharmacy now. It's a great opportunity to do that. In episode 53, Aaron Cooper from Charles Sturt University at the time was the outgoing president of the National Australian Pharmacy Students Association and joined us to look back on her term. Is there any other advice you can give for young pharmacy students who are looking for opportunities to get involved with industry organisations like NAPSA? And, and can these roles, do you think they play a really important part in acting as a platform for future career success? I believe so, yes. But that's coming from my experience. NAPSA has set me up for my current internship and I'm sure will continue, the contacts I've made will continue to help me well into the future of my pharmacy career. Um, I think the best advice for young pharmacy students is get involved. From your local branch level up, um, attend events, have your name out there. Um, I know when looking for the next board, the next chairs, us as um, an organisation look at, oh, how, what have these students done previously? Um, are they willing to get involved? So I think showing that if you are keen to be involved, showing that passion from the beginning of your career. Yes, in first and second year, you may not be aware of what's out there, but if you want talk to your local branch, just have your name in the door. Attend their events, um, like their posts on Facebook, like Naps' posts on Facebook. Um, you'll find out what's going on and be able to get more and more involved. From there, if events are able to run, who knows at this stage, attend whatever events you can. Um, attend the webinars that are being run. Post about it. Show, try and get more people involved. Um, and then in your future years, take whatever opportunities are provided for you, whether it be applying for your branch's leadership team, applying for a NAPSA chair or board position, or there's lots of other organisations like the Rural Health Student Organisation. Be involved in whatever um, is allowing you to be involved with. And then I think it will really help in the future. You create connections that will take you so far. For example, I met my current preceptor at NAPSA Congress in Sydney three years ago now and met one of her students at the time in her Congress. Now, that student and I became best friends and we've been friends for the past four years. So, of course, when the job opened up to intern there this year, my friend was like, oh, I really want to see you. I really want to work with you. This will be such <laughs> a great chance. Um, so, of course, I was like, yes, Alicia, I'll apply. Why not? And then applied and Alicia was like, oh, yes, we've met before. And it was just a really nice, um, way to get in to a new role, especially obviously moving states for your intern year can be quite 
daunting. But yeah, having those connections already can make it such a smooth transition and yeah, it can continue to open up doors for you in the future. In episode 53, Ethan Kreutzer from Monash University, who at the time was the incoming National Australian Pharmacy Students Association president for the 2020-2021 term, joined us and looked forward to his term. Apart from keeping calm and accessing those resources and reaching out for help, Ethan, as we wrap this up, what is the one message that you'd like to give the student membership body for community pharmacy going forward? Get involved. That's my biggest message that I can give to any student, regardless of what they're asking me. Um, In terms of community pharmacy, if you're a student and you don't have a job, go and get one. Um, If you do, see what you can do to make that job better. Is there a professional service that you can implement? Is there something you can do to streamline healthcare for your patients coming into that pharmacy? Speak with your boss, speak with your colleagues, see what you can do to improve the healthcare of the people that walk in and out of that pharmacy because getting involved from an early stage in your pharmacy career as a student is the best way to set you up going forward to move into the profession and also just take your opportunities because you don't really know when the next one's going to come along. Julia Van Graaf from Speak spoke in episode 54 about how in community pharmacy, communication and leadership are two sides of the same coin and both are needed to deliver optimal patient outcomes. I love that point that you made towards the end there. So Jules, effective communication really is the backbone of leadership. In theory, since pharmacists communicate with their patients all day, every day, they put them at ease, they, they help make them feel comfortable about their situations and their medications and their treatment and their management, we just expect many of them to just simply be good at communicating with their staff, that those skills are going to be really easily transferable to a different audience. And I'm sure in your varied experience, you have come across people who are maybe great communicators with their peers, but as soon as they need to step up into that that leadership position, they clam up and, and they have trouble communicating with them from a different perspective. Do you have any tips for people who are maybe uncomfortable bringing that concept of leadership into their conversations with their team? Absolutely. The first thing I'd say around that is uh, it's completely normal to feel uncomfortable having some of the more difficult conversations. And I think that's part of, you know, just getting it out there for people to understand that not every conversation or communication you will have is going to be easy and comfortable for you. But I think understanding that is actually gives you some comfort as an individual that it's okay, I'm going to have some conversations that are going to be much easier for me to have and I'm going to have other conversations that I'm really going to have to plan for um, and think through carefully about how do I want to do this as a leader. Um, We talk about, you know, leader isn't about a title or an age. It's about how you as a leader um, respond, impact others, make other people feel. And... So we know, you know, regardless of culture, regardless of gender, regardless of role, regardless of industry, everyone has these same issues around feeling uncomfortable, particularly with difficult conversations. Um, Brené Brown, in her research um, that she did a couple of years ago, which led to her her book, Dare to Lead, um, actually went and ran um, a study on the future of leadership and... um, it ended up being the future of leadership was we need more brave and courageous leaders. But one of the things that she did in her hundreds 
um, and thousands of pieces of data that she received from leaders in all different walks of life um, was to ask them what gets in the way of leading bravely. And the thing, the most common um, sort of symptom that people came up with as, as what got in the way was actually the, the inability to have difficult conversations. And so when you think about that, it's we, we all have the best of intentions and we want to, you know, be able to communicate well all the time, but we know, you know, you can feel the sensations in your body when you're going in to have a difficult conversation. You can feel sensations in your body um, responding and it's just a recognition that you will have stress triggers, for instance, coming up in your body. Um, I, I've had in various points in time in my career where, you know, for instance, I've it's been much easier for me to go and have communications with a client or for a pharmacist, for instance, having communications with a patient. Um, but it's those relationships in my team where I've had to give feedback conversations that have been some of the most challenging. And it's not challenging because I don't know how to say it. It's challenging because um, I want to get it right. Um, I don't know how the other person's going to respond. And so we've really got to embrace the vulnerability in going into these conversations that we're doing it with the right intention, which is we want to have, you know, clear communication with the other party. We want each other to understand each other. We want to hear what the other person's perspective is. Um, but we want to do it in a way that feels natural and authentic to who we are as a leader and, you know, not following a script or, you know, particularly in the concept of, of feedback, um, you know, people talk about sandwich feedback, I'll give them some good stuff and then the bad stuff in the middle and then finish it the good stuff because it'll make me feel better. Um, but actually, what does the other person, what does, what does your team member need from you in that moment? Joining Julia and also from Speak in episode 54, Steph Clark also spoke about how in community pharmacy, communication and leadership are two sides of the same coin and both are needed to deliver optimal patient outcomes. Steph, Jules just spoke about it being people thinking of it less as, as a title. So adding to that, what would you say to pharmacists who don't see themselves as leaders and they see themselves more as those technical people in those roles is leadership something people can learn or is it something you're just you just kind of fall into and you're assigned it so to speak and that's it and you just do your best as you see fit I do think there are some people who become accidental leaders and that's probably to Jules's point around you're you're doing good or you're doing well as a as a technical expert or as a specialist in a, in a certain area and then all of a sudden the the role of leader is thrust upon you and, and maybe without you realizing it or requesting it. So if you are in a position where you're not seeing or you don't identify yourself as a leader, actually the, the term leader itself just feels a bit too too big for you. I'd actually bring it back to the to almost the point Jules is making around who are you making a difference to? Because coming back to that impact you have on others or influence you have on others, be it your pharmacy team, be it your patients, be it other healthcare providers in your in the community or in the network, that's that's where you should start and we'll need to start and think about what is the impact I have on them? What difference do I make for them, their care, their outcomes, etc.? Because that that is leadership, is the impact you have on them. So I think if you've gone through that that technical field and, and you're you're struggling with the concept of leader, think beyond boss. I think that's where a lot of people get start to feel uncomfortable. 
with the the idea of, of leader as they see it as quite hierarchical and, and a bit a bit oppressive rather than actually it's something that's incredibly empowering and and one or and something that can allow you to to really make a, a big impact. Peter Sakasan is a partner at RSM Australia and National Director of Pharmacy Services and he's also responsible for managing nationally the pharmacy services of the firm. In episode 55, he joined us to discuss and understand the frameworks and opportunities that are now in place to support pharmacies during the pandemic. We've been fortunate enough on the podcast to have guests who have really exemplified an exceptional level of resilience and responsiveness to the adversities of 2020. And we've seen not only bushfires and the pandemic, but in some places we've seen smoke impacting communities, we've seen hail, we've seen flooding in recent times. Any good response effort requires a plan. So what are some of the strategies that pharmacy owners can now start to take with regard to the current economic environment? And once those strategies, they start to roll them out, what are the next steps for them? I spoke just now about monitoring and maintaining cash and ensuring viability. Perhaps the main point I believe I made was knowing what is going on now in your pharmacy business. So whatever strategic plan you may have had up on the wall before Christmas is by now probably out the window. I'll make make comment on various components of what might, might make up your business strategy in these times. Firstly, I think you need to ask yourself and speak to your team about who are your customers today? If you are a suburban pharmacy, You may have seen a lot of new faces or even the same faces just a lot more often. So how are you remaining connected with your customers who in some areas are subject to strict movement? Technology is, as we know, coming to the fore in the working from home environment. It was always present in the marketing and business development space, but I do believe owners were not fully invested in driving it. I don't think there are any more excuses for not being in the online networking and marketing space a whole lot more. Pharmacies, I mean, at the end of the day, pharmacies have a lot of data about their customers and one hopes that they have contact information which they can legally use to keep the customers informed. Uh, In addition, useful websites, complete with an online store, as well as great marketing will no no doubt help uh, maintaining that customer connection. All the aspects, different aspects of uh, social media need consideration. Uh, Good old Facebook, things like Instagram, I think are having a lot of impact uh, or or getting a lot of traction uh, out there in the marketplace with with, with users uh, and also LinkedIn. But know your customers and know the channel um, that salutes, that that you need to select that will be most effective in driving customer, customer connection and ultimately bringing in customer sales. So do you have the technology to also create sales to customers not in the store? So in a word or two, uh, one important strategy is customer connection. How will you achieve, maintain and grow that? The pandemic um, combined with lockdown requirements has also seen a rise in focus on different health concerns that have probably been on the periphery and mental health is, I think, a great example of that. Owners should look at the services they offer in the pharmacy and assess whether, with the change in economic and social environment, the services on offer are aimed at meeting the new and current needs of their customers. And in doing that exercise, that leads to a whole 
a series of questions. You know, what are the skill sets required in the pharmacy? Uh, will those skill sets be taken on as full-time staff or will you outsource them? How will you communicate to your customers? Again, going back to my first strategy about, about remaining connected to your customer, how will you communicate to your customers that the service is available? And lastly, how will you drive um, uptake of the service and then delivery of the service successfully so that it does realise in um, a true increase in income in the pharmacy both through the service itself and through the add-on sales that come with it. Next, I mentioned cash management a lot in our earlier discussions, and part of this, of course, is proper cost management. At RSM, we've seen most, if not all, of our clients transition their financial management systems to the cloud, and this has enabled access to data by owners and advisors in an instant. And it's been helping owners keep an eye on exactly where their business is at. And so strategically, owners can look to ensure that they have access to the right data when they need it. And investment in the right technology around business information could mean the difference between knowing what is going on and whether or not you're going to get knocked over by what's happening now in the economy. And as well, having that data available uh, immediately can help you deal with things like better communications with your bank uh, if you need to produce uh, accurate cash flow forecasts and other information that they might ask for, which in the past you may have not had at your fingertips. And a very good part uh, or important part of technology management is ensuring that you've got a good recovery plan. If you've outsourced any part of your business data, especially things like payroll, you need to stress test your provider in this area and ask the detailed questions about things like backups and disaster recovery at, at their end as well as internally in your pharmacy. I've seen customers uh, who have outsourced payroll um, where the outsourced um, or host of their payroll system uh, suffered a, uh, a technology incident and through no fault of their own, the pharmacy lost a lot of data and the um, host uh, also um, did not have sufficient backups and there was a lot of work required to ensure that Payroll data was all of a sudden uh, was suddenly brought up to date um, and accurate uh, going forward. And in the world of single touch payroll and dealing with the ATO, this is one area where you don't want to be seen uh, to be shoddy in your operations. Uh, next, um, as part of your cash management plan, I mentioned having a good relation, uh, banking relationship. So strategically, you should be aware of your loan commitments when they're due for renewal and what the requirements might be at that time of renewal. For many pharmacies, having to get a valuation of their business right now in the middle of a pandemic, it won't be good news. And perhaps, and it may deny them the chance of rebuilding the pharmacy asset back to its real worth. It's so it pays to ensure you know your bank's lending policies, not what they used to be, but what they are now. Know your loan renewal date, and perhaps have a good broker at your side who can go in and fight for the cause if necessary. Of course, demonstrating your financial awareness by having those forecasts in place, which I mentioned earlier, and knowing how the business is tracking at all times, this can only assist in giving the bank the confidence to, to continue to support you. So overall, owners should be taking a fresh look at how they grow customers and meet their needs, 
supplemented by appropriate professional services. They should be controlling costs, managing cash, and improving the technology platforms of their business to help them to do all these things. In addition, they should review the skill sets needed in each of these areas and then decide if they want them available through staff members or recommended outside assistance. In episode 56, Chloe Hennessy, QCPP National Manager, discussed the October 2020 introduction of Quality Care 2020, the new accreditation framework for quality in community pharmacy. We all know that preparation is key when it comes to quality care. With October fast approaching, what do you see as some of the things that pharmacies should start to be thinking about in preparing for the transition to QC 2020? So I think my number one tip would be don't panic. I think the majority of pharmacies will have systems in place already. A lot of what they've got will be current, so don't start from scratch. Review what you already have, make sure it's up to date, prepare as you normally would for an on-site assessment. I would suggest you don't have to realign your operations manual if you don't want to. If it currently works for you, keep doing what you're already doing. Another vital step would be registering for the QCPP customer portal. This is really important step because you will be able to access all of your support material there, but you'll also have to undertake your remote assessment via the portal. Once you have access to the portal, I'd suggest you visit the Knowledge Hub and access all of the great support material we have available. Types of things we have up there include a pre-assessment checklists, training bites, educational videos, fact sheets, frequently asked questions. The Quality Care 2020 requirements are also on the portal, so I'd suggest downloading them, reading them. There are some new requirements highlighted in colour in that document, so make sure you take note of those and really just to reassure people that there's lots of support available via those, the Knowledge Hub, the support materials. We also have a QCPP support team, helpline and help email available. If you're a Guild member or part of a pharmacy group, please get in touch with those representatives from your membership organisations. And lastly, I would say good luck and enjoy the improved program. Rob Vernon, CEO of Tasmanet, discussed some of the strategies community pharmacies can use to prepare for the digital age in episode 58. There's certainly a need for community pharmacies to evolve digitally, and this is something that we've discussed on the podcast quite a bit over the last couple of years, and I'm keen to dive in and unpack some of the advice that you have for us today around how digitally enabling the community pharmacy can open up so many opportunities around customer service and business performance. Starting from scratch, how do pharmacies need to be thinking about the right connectivity to enable and support digital services in their business? So we're really talking now in a modern world about keeping everything up and running. Everything is so reliant now on the on the underlying connection coming into the business. So the internet connection or other connection coming in. So you, know, you need to be mindful that that keeps the phones ringing, that keeps the FPOST going, that keeps the emails and the virtual faxes coming in and it really keeps, you know, it supports those line of business applications coming in. So that's that's keeping everything up and running as far as operating business or operating pharmacy today. But we're also then talking about enabling the digital channels and the modern channels, you know, what is telehealth, what are the receipt of e-prescriptions and e-commerce and enabling a two-way conversation by text or video um, with, with your customers. So... When we're talking about connectivity, that's what we're talking about and those are the things that we're trying to support. So what have we got at play in order to do that? Uh, and in Australia, on the back of, I guess, the rollout of the, the MBN, um, 
we've got that reaching out across the country, but what pharmacy owners and, and business owners in general should be mindful of is, is my, is my connection fit for purpose? Is it resilient? Um, if, if one part of it fails, can it fall over to another part? So what I'm talking about there is if the underlying connection fails, do I have a, a redundant connection possibly via 4G or other technology and can that fail over um, immediately? From a business grade point of view, you know, have I got a business grade service so that, you know, as the, the kids in the, in the local neighbourhood get home from school at 3pm, my business grade connection isn't, isn't going to suffer a performance here because all the kids are at home uh, on Netflix. So those are the things that business owners particularly need to be mindful of. Um, many of the, much of the country is, um, you know, still getting used to the NBN um, and, and Tasmanet as a business have pop, put together a, um, a technology survival guide specifically for pharmacies and that's something that uh, I think we'll speak through to today uh, and we'd like to see, um, you know, pharmacy owners read uh, on the back of this podcast. In episode 59, discussing cybersecurity risks and issues and some of the actions you can take to protect your business was Andrew McManus from Fred IT Group. Wow, it does sound very stressful and scary and can be a situation where all that trust that pharmacists and pharmacies have spent so long building up and that standing that they have in the community can, as you said, just see people walk out the door and and go to a competitor. So let's spend a little bit more time talking about it. Let's stay with you, Andrew, and on ransomware because I'm interested to know a bit more about it, go a bit deeper and know exactly what it is because I'm sure there are people out there who think, and as Adam said before, oh, I've heard of that happening, but surely it won't happen to me. And I'm I'm sure you'll all say yes to the question, do pharmacy owners need to start considering their security response? So as such, what are some of the consequences that can arise from ransomware attacks, especially in the context of a pharmacy? Pharmacies do need to start having a look at this very closely. Yeah, some of the stats out there are quite frightening. And, um, you know, there's evidence to suggest that someone falls victim to ransomware worldwide every 14 seconds, which is a staggering number. Uh, there's literally billions of phishing emails sent out every day, which is the main delivery mechanism for, for ransomware. Uh, and as we've talked about, pharmacies historically have not invested in cybersecurity. You know, many simply rely on on things like antivirus. And um, a little bit of an analogy for you is that I like I like an AV to a lock on your pharmacy door. You know, 30 years ago, you know, a lock was really all that you needed and all that you had. Um, today, it's commonplace to have a back-to-base alarm, you know, live security company uh, cameras, and in some cases, uh, even a, a security company on call. Um, you know, cybersecurity is no different. You need more than AV. Um, you need to understand that uh, your health data has tremendous value on the dark web, unfortunately. In, in some cases, it's, it's even more valuable than, than financial data because whilst credit cards can be cancelled, um, sensitive health data, once it falls into the wrong hands, it, it's out there forever. Um, and ransomware is a really effective way for cyber criminals to get their hands on, on that data and, and, and that money. So, so what is it? Look, it's essentially, it's a type of malware um, that's downloaded onto your PC and, and it holds you to ransom. Um, as I mentioned, it, it's downloaded via a phishing email, which is a, a fake email that tricks you into clicking on a link, which tr- triggers that download. Um, the more common type of ransomware we see encrypts your data um, or potentially locks you out of your PC entirely. Uh, a message pops up on your screen, alerting you to the fact that uh, your data has been encrypted. Um, it's rushing you. It's trying to say, you've got to do this quickly. You have a very limited time to, to pay. It includes instructions on, on what you need to do. And in some cases, we've actually seen a, uh, a help number where you know people can call and uh, request assistance.
problems because they're not quite sure how to how to get some bitcoins or, or how to pay because they're not very IT savvy in the first place. Um, and we've actually seen an increase of, of this since COVID-19 has hit. Um, and unfortunately, it, recently we've seen individual pharmacies and groups um, hit by hit by ransomware. Um, look, you know, that's, as I said, the more common way, a less common, but a, probably a scarier method that we're, we're starting to see across other industries, but luckily I've yet to see this in pharmacy, is, is where once you've um, downloaded the software, it's sitting there silently in the background and um, what it's actually doing is it's stealing your data. Um, and, and after the, um, the cyber criminals have your data, it, it then pops a message up on your screen saying we have a copy of it. Um, they look to redirect you to a website or provide some form of image to show you that they have your data. And, uh, you know, instructions are how to, how to pay are included. Um, and the reason that's evolved is that cyber criminals are trying to get around um, you using your, your backup to restore because there's nothing that you can do once the data's, um, you know, left your premises. So the cyber criminals are very motivated. They're very intelligent. Um, and from our experience, though, you only have about a 50-50 chance of getting your data back. Our recommendation is, is not to pay. Um, it, it encourages more attacks. Um, and I guess in, in context of pharmacy, the biggest change that we've seen in recent years is that pharmacies are now subject to the notifiable data breach scheme. Um, and quite simply, yeah, if that data breach um, is likely to result in serious harm to the individual whose data has been compromised, it, it's deemed notifiable and you're required to notify the Office of the Australian Information Commissioner and your customer within 30 days. Uh, and that, of course, has some very serious implications on the reputation of your business. In episode 60, we heard from Helen Blake from Terry White, Kenmart, Lindisfarne and Rosny Park in Tasmania, who provided a combined 265 vaccination services through the Guild Corporate Vaccination Program across 14 organisations during the 2020 flu season. Let's start off firstly with you telling us a little bit about your experience with the Guild Corporate Health Vaccination Program. So on the whole, at the two pharmacies that I work between, we found that it was really well executed by the Guild. They set everything up. They approached all of the businesses for us. And so because they were doing this, we ended up with new customers coming through the door. It meant increased bookings of flu vaccinations. Um, so that was really beneficial for us. One of the great things was the patients were actually able to book ahead of time. So that meant that they were inputting their data, you know, name, date of birth, address and all of that. So it was already in the system. We logged in from our end and took off from that part so that everything was already in there. So there was no double handling of all of that data, which made it a much easier process for us as well. So when people came in store, it was much quicker. Uh, it automatically uploaded it onto the Australian immunisation record, which was so easy. Um, and then also once they'd left, the claiming through the Guild Care with rent and pay was super easy um, and you got paid the next day for it, which was pretty convenient too. Julie Meek, a qualified sports dietitian who is also degree qualified in health promotion, talked about the role of nutrition in supporting health throughout life in episode 61. You're a dietitian, so I'm sure you know how to eat well, but what about the rest of us? How important is nutrition in the scheme of our greater general health? And is, is it the same for everyone? Because we all see media reports and promotions and social media posts and they're pushing certain diets or claims and they change from week to week, yet not everybody's the same. Their body composition isn't the same, right? No, they're absolutely not. And look, it's easy to say that we all need to eat the same thing, but we, we don't and we don't need to do that. The old saying of you are what you eat is actually true, but it really depends on what stage of life you're actually in. 
And even though, you know, I, I do a lot of work with athletes, for example, I think the rest of us actually need to think about the fact that we have to perform day to day from morning to night, no matter what we do in our lives. And so no matter how old you are, you still need to be able to do that. And so no matter what age you are, you have different requirements and different needs. And so that changes in terms of nutrition. I think nutrition is probably one of those really underrated things. I don't think we give it enough credit. And there are some people, of course, in our community who have greater barriers than others. You know, they have greater nutritional requirements. And I guess some of them might be obvious, but people who are socioeconomically disadvantaged or others who might have particular problems or diseases, and that can include things like diabetes or heart disease, or actually people who are really active as well because they put their bodies through a lot and they might need a bit more nutrition. And of course, the polar opposite of eating well and good nutrition is malnutrition. And I think a lot of people make the assumption that that can only happen in countries that are developing, whereas in Australia, for example, that happens all the time. I just, I don't think we're as aware of it. And so there's a lot of things that we need to think about in terms of nutrition and the aspects and the things that we need to do to make sure that what we eat is right for us as an individual. And of course, that means encouraging a wide variety of food because we need to get all of the whole range of vitamins and minerals. But we need to balance that amount of food that we eat with how much physical activity that we do. And of course, that physical activity is just as important as eating well. In episode 62, Melinda DeVita, Head of Market Growth at Guild Super, joined us to recap the 2020 year in superannuation, discuss some of the recent industry reforms and give us an insight into what's on the horizon for Guild Super. Depending on who you are as a listener for today's show, you may have spent a lot of time thinking about your superannuation or you may not have thought about it very much at all. So to start us off, Mel, can you give us a bit of a recap on how the superannuation sector is travelling through what has been a pretty difficult 2020? The sector has had a lot of focus this year, and I'm looking at that as actually quite positive. So COVID's brought superannuation to the spotlight. What it has done is it's removed what I refer to the superannuation glaze. So this is a, a blank look that we get from people when we start talking about super. It's like it's not even going to their happy place. It's just going somewhere other than what I'm talking about. So um, what we're finding is that members and employers are finally getting really engaged with super because what 2020 has done, it's brought it into the now as opposed to the future at some really far, far time in the distance. Um, so what we're doing is we're talking to members a lot more and um, we're talking to our employees a lot more and we're getting asked a lot of questions and the questions that we're getting are, are really, really good. Um, you know, so they're talking about what their future holds. They're talking about what they can do now for their future. So that's fantastic for us. Um, but in relation to the sector itself, um, just as a quick summary, you know, we are looking and, and we're starting to see some more merger activity between the superannuation funds. So that's quite interesting. It's always good to get that little update in the morning that comes through from the sector magazines. Uh, we've got the recommendations from the Royal Commissions are continuing to be rolled out. Now, there has been a bit of a delay with some of them coming into force, again, just because of COVID and people not being able to work 100%. So that's been great that we've been given a little bit of reprieve. But superannuation ultimately, is, it's a really dynamic sector. 
uh, not one day is the same. Um, it keeps it really interesting, but it also keeps it extremely challenging, which is what I love about the sector. Um, but I'm also conscious, you know, we're recording this podcast now and that's the end of November. There's still a good month to go to the end of the year. So, um, you know, it's been such a um, momentous year. You know, one month to go, anything can happen. And finally, for our last guest in 2020, in episode 63, Jenny Snegavaya, a registered pharmacist and a provider adoption lead from the Australian Digital Health Agency, took us through some of the updates, training and resources available on My Health Record. I agree. Looking at the numbers, it's a fantastic uptake across the industry. Outstanding. It's a great start. But I think the important question, once you've gotten off to a great start, is how can community pharmacies do better with the My Health Record? And What's your sense? Do you think it's being underutilised at all? There is always some room for improvement and that is why uh, the agency is continuing in our efforts to educate pharmacists as much as possible about the actual benefits of using it more regularly because we know it's quite easy for a pharmacy to enable the upload of dispense records. It's not something that takes very much time to set up but uh, understanding when is a good time to actually access a record and uh, knowing when is a good time to view that information can be a little bit tricky and I think um, some of us probably just don't realize how beneficial it can really be to the day-to-day decisions that we make even so you know how often do you get asked to supply a Ventolin? And then you would ask a patient whether they use a preventer and they say, yes, yes, of course I do, just give it to me, you know, just dispense it, let's get on with it. And when you haven't got any other information in, in front of you to go off, you sort of just have to accept it and you counsel the patient as best as you can. You try to provide them with uh, the right level of information, but it may not be perfect. So if we just take a minute to check their My Health record, the information that we can see in there is, uh, for example, you can see if they've recently had a preventer prescribed to them. You can see if they've recently had it dispensed. And if you know if they had it dispensed a year ago and they keep coming back to you for more and more Ventolin, you know you can have a serious conversation with them about how they're actually managing that condition. And I'm absolutely not saying you shouldn't trust what your patients tell you um, or that, you know, you should be checking up on them or anything like that. But, you know, how are we meant to give them the best possible advice if we don't take the time to look at this information? So all I want to say is don't shy away from it. I think uh, my health record, it, it really isn't just something for clinical pharmacists to work at a hospital for the doctors it is absolutely available to all healthcare professionals and it is something that we can all benefit from because it helps us make better decisions and helps us provide better recommendations to our patients based on the information that we see in there that's a wrap for volume five the best bits of the pbcm podcast which is part two of two of our look back at 2020. I've been your host, Daniel Loyston, and it's been fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, journeys, insights, and advice from our guests. And once again, thank you to everybody who came on the show for these episodes. I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show and share with us. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources, 
and information to assist business and career growth and improvement. For more information, contact your local Guild branch and visit the Guild website at guild.org.au. You've been listening to episode 65 of the PBCM podcast. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.